Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today uh, normally we have Rob Bluey, but he's gonna he's on vacation today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring on Doug Blair in just a minute. He is uh, filling in today for Rob, which is awfully nice of him to do. I'm looking forward to meeting him, and I know you are as well. And then Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about hearing the voice of God. I think everyone's pretty interested in that topic. And then in hour two, um, uh, counselor and uh, professor Todd Mulliken will be joining me. We're going to be discussing anger and how uh, how much we all probably have got to deal with that at some level because we're certainly surrounded by it all the time. And uh, Doug is, um, to get things started, Doug is a communications and contributor at the Daily Signal, and he is uh, nice enough to fill in today for Rob Bluey, which are big shoes to fill. Doug, welcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and hopefully I can make Rob proud. <laughs> well, yeah, I know you can. And I just learned a little bit about you before we went on the air, that you're from Portland, Oregon. And uh, how long have you lived in the D.C. area? Yeah, so originally from Portland. I'm a West Coast guy, but I've been in D.C. now for about three years. And I, I really do love it. It's a great town, so much to do, so much to see. Uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to be here. And would you call yourself like a serious news junkie? I would, yeah. No, I try to pay attention. I try to keep posted. I mean, in this business, right, as a journalist, you need to be aware of what's going on and what the news stories is and kind of how things are going to kind of pan out and work out to, to write the, the, the news that people want to read. Yeah. Do you think you're a bigger news junkie than Rob Bluey, or is no one a bigger news junkie than Rob Bluey? I got to tell you, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I spent my entire life trying and couldn't even get close. Yeah. So if we can uh, get started, uh, I would like to to ask you your thoughts on Elon Musk kind of getting to be a big deal over at Twitter. How is that going to shake things up? Well, I mean, it's welcome news because we're seeing that people are taking free speech concerns online seriously. I, I think most Americans can all agree that we should be able to express our First Amendment rights online. It's not enough to say to somebody, you know, oh, well, we can have a private conversation. You can say those things. It's like, no, we have this culture of free speech in America that should expand to the online space. So Elon Musk has been a very vocal proponent of free speech, and I think his inclusion on Twitter's board of directors can only do good. I think that the fact that he's going to be a representative for the little guy on there to speak about free speech is a positive step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And Doug, you saw a significant amount of censorship going on with big tech over the last year, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, personal anecdote, I uh, do a radio hit uh, with a news station in St. Louis that was recently banned by YouTube for discussing a no-no topic. They were discussing, we were, we were having a conversation about election integrity, and the idea was that over 50% of Americans believe that there was some form of uh, voter fraud or cheating in the election. That's not to say that there was. It was that Americans believed that. Right. Uh, and YouTube decided to take that down because they didn't like that we were having that conversation. So, yeah, big tech censorship is a huge issue. And uh, I think it's it's very important that we have these voices like Elon Musk who are going to speak out against 
censorship. Yeah, Doug, what kind of uh, muscle will Elon be able to flex? I mean, I know he's the biggest shareholder now at, at Twitter, but how will his voice be heard and what kind of shakeup will he be able to do given his, uh, his influence? That's an excellent question because honestly, it's so new that we're not entirely sure what his role is going to be. What we do know is that we, he won't have moderating privileges. This is something that none of the directors apparently have. They're not able to make decisions about who stays and who goes from the platform. But what we do know is that he will have a large share of vo- voice on sort of like what the, the, the platform is going to do. So. Um, listeners who are maybe a little bit more Twitter aware will have seen that Elon Musk put out a poll recently uh, about whether or not there should be an edit function to have your tweet. You can edit it after you've posted it. Mm -hmm. This has been something that Twitter users have been calling for for a little while. And the CEO of Twitter basically said you should pay attention and you should vote carefully on this poll because it could have large consequences in the future. So I think looks like it's going to happen is that Elon Musk, as the sort of free speech representative on the board, will say, look, this is what the users want. This is what the users are saying. Here's how we can, how, how we can incorporate that into the platform later on. Mm-hmm. Doug Blair is my guest. He's filling in today for Rob Bluey. So, Doug, uh, 12-year anniversary of Obamacare. That is, uh, was uh, President Obama was at the White House today kind of celebrating that. What direction is that going? I mean, this is the thing about Obamacare. It was a failure back then. It's still a failure now. Um, prices have gone up since we've had this discussion 12 years ago. Um, I, I think it's a, a shame that we haven't been able to make more progress on getting rid of it. But, I mean, here at the Heritage Foundation, what we've been advertising is for a, a multitude of other solutions. So, you know, we could throw these more issues back to the states, right? Healthcare is something that you could deal with on a state-by-state level. We also could be discussing excuse me, we also could be discussing this idea that the federal government in general should not have as much control over health care amongst other types of policies. We saw with the COVID pandemic that the, the federal government's response to very serious issues of health were not acceptable. I mean, if you look at how the, the federal government handled COVID, which was a kind of you know massive health problem that many people were trying to argue was the epitome of how the federal government should be involved in the process, right? This was a, an issue that affected all the states. This was an issue that affected the world. This is you know, something that big government should have been able to do. Well, we saw that it failed. So Obamacare looks really bad in this light that the federal government failed on a massive scale to protect the American people from a, a health issue. Mm-hmm. Doug, what about the uh, Supreme Court nomination update. What what do we know at this point? It looks like we had three Republican senators voting affirmative. So this is kind of a foregone conclusion. She will be, um, she will get elected. So she will. It, it is likely that she will be confirmed. I think confirmed. many people. That's the word I was looking for. Pers- right. No. No. It's, it, there's a lot of technical terms to this. So it does look like she's going to be confirmed. And I think a lot of people assumed at the very beginning that she was going to get confirmed. She wasn't uh, this type of candidate that, that a Joe Manchin or a Kristen Sinema would easily be able to say no to. Obviously, that since the Senate is currently controlled by the Democrats, this was a priority of theirs to get a candidate like Ketanji Brown-Jackson through. Now, that being said, uh, it is slightly disturbing that we are seeing certain GOP support for this because Ketanji Brown-Jackson does have some pretty radical views. Um, Her jurisprudence, obviously, regarding uh, child sex offenses is quite 
disturbing. We've seen that she has a, a penchant for giving lenient sentences to people uh, for this type of crime, which I think all of our listeners here could agree is not something you should be taking lightly. If you commit a crime against a child, particularly a sex crime, that should be considered especially heinous. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think it's we're going to see enough of a, a an effort against her to make it so she will not get confirmed. I think it's a pretty foregone conclusion that Katanji Brown Jackson will be the next Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. Doug, as we uh, talk about this this issue of like the child pornography and things, is was she suggesting that the it's a different day now that you can consume um, more online things faster and gather? more images quicker that for some reason the penalty for this and the amount of uh, images that were acquired should somehow get a break versus the the old way? Her argument was that the law was written back during a day Mm -hmm. where it was a lot more difficult to transmit child pornography, which to to an extent is true. The, The laws were written before the Internet was sort of this juggernaut of how you were able to transmit this type of information. What I think a lot of people have an issue with is that doesn't really change the point. I agree. The idea is that if you're if you are transmitting child pornography, whether it's a piece of paper, whether it's an actual physical photograph, or whether it's thousands of digital files, shouldn't change the fact that child pornography is heinous. Right. And whether it's one photo or whether it's a thousand photos, it's still a bad thing, and you should be treating people who are transmitting that information as harshly as you can. Yeah, good point. Doug Blair is my guest today. He is uh, filling in for Rob Bluey over at the Daily Signal. He is a communications and uh, contributor there at the Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com. And I asked Doug if he's open to taking some listener questions, and he said, you bet I am. I like Doug Swagger. (laughs) So if you want to send Doug a question, I will ask on your behalf. That text number is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Two four eight four. We'll take a short break and be right back with Doug in just a minute. That is Rob Bluey's walk-up music, but Rob's not on the show today, so I don't think I have to pay the royalty today because it's Doug Blair, who's <laughs> nice enough to fill in for him, administrative assistant, communications, and contributor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com. And, Doug, you're doing a fantastic job. The rave rev- reviews are already in, so just I want you to know that. All right. Well, I, I hopefully I can get some, some walk-on music for myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. Here's a listener uh, question. Does the does Doug think that the Democratic embrace of the LGBTQ agenda will hurt them in November? So I think that's an excellent question. And obviously, we're seeing that there is a lot of pushback from the American people surrounding this obsession with identity, specifically around gender identity. So to give an example, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida recently passed a bill that the media has maligned as a don't say gay bill, but is in reality a parental rights bill. And when you actually read the text of the bill to people, it is overwhelmingly popular. 
So what we're seeing is that Americans are recognizing that identity is actually starting to tear people apart. We used to look at ourselves as Americans first, identity second, right? You are black, but you were American first. You were Hispanic, but you were American first. You were gay, but you were American first. The left has flipped it on its head, right? They've decided that your identity is all that matters. And if you can get rid of the American angle, that's even better, right? So we've seen the results of that. We've seen that it's torn the country apart. We've seen that people dislike each other more and more and more, and it's because they're being divided into little groups. So I absolutely think that we're starting to see consequences for that type of obsession with identity. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that answer. Let's talk about March for Life. Uh, that happened, of course, last month. And in light of what uh, the Supreme Court, considering the uh, the case of Dobbs versus Jackson, things could change considerably in June. Absolutely. So we're actually starting to see some really positive developments on that front. Uh, March for Life, the organization that conducts the March for Life, uh, has actually begun doing these now in the states, where it's going to be a statewide battle. Because I think the expectation is once Roe, hopefully, fingers crossed, once Roe is taken down, once it's, it's struck from the record, it's going to be a fight in the states. There's a misconception that I think a lot of people on the left actively want to spread, which is that if Roe goes away, abortion will become illegal everywhere, which mm-hmm. is just not true. That means there won't be a codified right to an abortion uh, in the Constitution, right? That's the argument is that Roe gives a constitutional right to an abortion. So this fight would still happen on a statewide level. Uh, there are certain states in the Union, mostly in the South, mostly red states, that have trigger laws in effect that if Roe is to go away, they'll start to have abortion bans at various levels of pregnancy, some at the very beginning, some at a couple of weeks. But the idea being that these are fights we're going to have to take to larger states. You mentioned that I'm from Portland, Oregon. Oregon is one of these states that's basically said, no, Roe, uh, even if Roe goes away, we're going to keep abortions on the books. That's going to be where we need to put our focus, right? That's where as pro-life people, as supporters of a culture of life, we need to put most of our efforts into those states to say, look, I don't believe that this is something we can have as, as civilized people anymore. Abortion is murder. And if we're going to keep doing this, then, then something's got to give. We have, we have to keep fighting at these state, at these state levels, which we're starting to see. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh, chat about something that's not very pleasant for everybody listening, which is inflation and spending. Oof. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where to start? I'll, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> right, right. Um, inflation is terrible. You're absolutely right. Anybody who's filled up their car in the past couple of days, in the past couple of weeks, is going gonna, is gonna to feel it on their pocketbook. Um, and it's entirely the fault of the Biden administration. What we've seen is a failure of leadership by this administration to admit that their policies are causing problems. Um, I mean, I think gas is probably the best one to talk about since it's the most upfront. Uh, I'm sure, like I said, listeners have seen these prices skyrocket in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it's firmly because the Biden administration has decided it's going to put into place policies that increase the prices of gas. So one of the things that we could do if we wanted to lower the price of gas is to unleash American independence in terms of energy. We have unbelievable stores of natural resources that the Biden administration feels as if are not clean enough or they are not the types of energy that they want to promote. So they have actively decided to make it harder or they've decided to make it illegal to mine for those resources. Now, their, their thought process is that you just buy an electric car, right? This is what Pete Buttigieg said a couple of weeks ago, where he said, well, if your gas prices are too high, just buy electric, which is wildly tone deaf in the sense that you can't just buy a new car But the second problem is it also fundamentally doesn't fix the issue. This is not a problem with the price of gas. This is a problem with 
policies are jacking that price up that the Biden administration could, if they wanted to, reduce. They've decided not to do that, and Americans are suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you say just go out and buy an electric car. How about just go out and buy a car, period? Right now, if you go on a car website and you're shopping for new cars, they don't have maybe more than one or two cars available for sale. This is a car dealership. I was just in looking at online here in town, a very popular dealership, and every car that they had listed was sale pending, sale pending, sale pending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen prices and we've seen supply chain shortages. Obviously, this this phrase that the Biden administration loves to throw about is supply chain shortages. There, while it is true, there is there is absolutely a reality that the rest of the world is suffering from supply chain issues as well. What is not true is that all of this can be placed at the at the feet of a supply chain shortage. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely a policy issue, and it's important for the American people to not let the administration forget and not let them get away with this excuse that, well, it's not our fault. We can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Doug, with Roe at stake uh, coming in June, what have some of the uh, pro-choice organizations done to go on the offensive? So I, one of the scariest things that I think I've seen about how pro-abortion industries are, are, are going on the attack here is they're using their allies within the big tech sphere to censor dissent. Uh, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the of the segment, but big tech has been relentless in how it will censor content that it doesn't like. With Roe at stake, they've decided that now advertising for pro-life causes or pushing pro-life messaging or advertising for even anti-abortifacants, right? So mm-hmm. if you basically say to somebody, uh, did you take the first dose of an abortion pill? If you regret it, here's how you get rid of that. They started banning this information now because they just don't want people to have the information about the other side. So to me, that's the scariest. What we'll see, obviously, is uh, marches. We'll see these, these protests. You know, you'll hear from feminist groups to say why this is a, a woman's right to choose. But what's the scariest thing to me is we, we don't even have the option now with these big tech censors to have that debate. It's, the debate is being stifled, and the mm-hmm. only sense of the conversation that you're getting is from the pro-abortion side. Mm-hmm. Doug, if Roe gets overturned, how many states do you think would uh, uh, outlaw it? That's an excellent question. I think that what we're seeing is, like I mentioned before, a lot of the states that are red are going to probably pass abortions. I couldn't give you an exact number mm-hmm. because we have we have uh, a lot of sort of laws in the process. We have a lot of these things that are still going through the, the state legislatures. But I would say it's probably about half of the states, probably more. But what we'll see in response, and I think that this is important to note, that there will be just as many states that feel as if it's now a codification in their legal structure for an abortion. So California, that progressive bastion of, of great liberal ideas, has decided that now it is going to be at the vanguard of protecting abortion rights, and it will start to pay for people to leave the state or to come into the state to get abortion. This is, this is the, the type of legislation that really concerns me because it does start to remove that process of, well, if it's illegal in this state and California is going to pay you to come and do it, well, then, is it really illegal in your state if you can have another state do it? And also, to be frank, as a taxpayer in California, I would be very frustrated if my tax dollars were going to pay for somebody else's abortion. Yeah, yeah. What about the Ukraine and Russia update? Ukraine and Russia, I mean, I, I, I struggle to think of an issue that breaks my heart any yeah. more than this. And I agree, Doug. It, it's so horrible watching these images come in and so horrible hearing these stories. 
about innocent civilians being murdered by Russian forces in, in Ukraine. So we just actually got video from uh, the United Nations where Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky just spoke. Uh, he, he published this video. He said, that this is what the Russians are doing to my people. This is what is happening on a day-to-day basis. And it was just photo after photo after photo of dead, wounded, I mean, it, it's it's heartbreaking. I don't even know if I can describe it without, you know, choking up. But, like, mm-hmm. it's literally you see these bodies just lined up in the street. It looks like something out of a horror movie. They're just everywhere. And this is the reality. This is war. This is what is happening. Russia can claim all that it wants, that this is some military operation, that this is not an aggressive, aggressive stance, that this is just, you know, territorial sovereignty. I don't even know. But it's not. This is war. This is This is Ukraine fighting for its life. And I think that what we're doing right now isn't enough. We need to up our sanctions and we need to continue providing them, providing them with military equipment so that they can fight back against this monstrous regime. Mm-hmm. Doug, do you know if more sanctions are on the way? So the president has said that there are there is the possibility of more sanctions. To be frank with you, though, I actually don't quite understand why they're not all on the table right now. I spoke with one of our experts on this, and I just was I mean, if there are more sanctions on the table, what possibly could we be waiting for? Are we waiting for a nuke to hit the uh, the, the capital? Or are we waiting for like the, the like a firebombing campaign like we saw back in World War II? I don't understand what there could be that we're waiting for to up these sanctions. We should be sanctioning them as as effectively and efficiently mm-hmm. as we can. And there are still sanctions on the table that we we could do. And I just I don't quite understand why we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug, what does the White House say about uh, COVID right now? So COVID, it's funny because COVID has sort of fallen out of favor as a political topic. We saw this before the State of the Union, that mask mandates were starting to get removed um, all across the country as Democratic mayors and governors and, and folks in positions of power saw that these mandates were not popular. They started to pull them back regardless of what, quote unquote, the dust science said. So, I mean, in terms of COVID stuff, we are starting to hear now. Uh, that there's a possibility of a new variant. I believe it's called the BA variant. And there's some chatter about whether or not that's going to need re- require us to go back to some of those mandates that we were seeing. Masks would be most likely the ones that we would see first. I don't know if we'll ever see a lockdown again. I just don't know if there's enough will amongst the American population to do that again. But I can easily see extensions to mask mandates on, say, flights or trains or buses that would continue on until the White House decides it's not politically feasible for them to do that anymore. On a related topic to COVID, though, at the border, we're starting to see some of the legislation and some of the policies that were protecting us from COVID-infected migrants starting to go away. The Biden administration recently revoked Title 42, which was a policy that allowed for immigration officials to use sort of emergency powers to prevent communicable diseases, including COVID-19, from coming across the border. As uh, we saw, President Biden has decided that since COVID isn't a a political football that he can wield anymore, that policy has gone away, and now we're starting to see more illegal immigration. It's just this tangled web of messes that this Biden administration is causing issue after issue after issue. Doug, you're a pro. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great having you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Hopefully made Rob proud. Oh, indeed. I'll I'll let him know. Doug Blair's been my guest. DailySignal.com. We'll take a short break. Dr. Greg Borgon is going to join me about hearing the voice of God. That's all next.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. And always count on Dr. Greg Borgon to bring a spectacular topic, and today's no exception. Today we're going to talk about hearing the voice of God. Wouldn't it be nice to hear the voice of God as clearly as the voice on your navigation system in your car? Wouldn't it be nice? We're going to talk to Dr. Greg Borgon about that very thing today. He is the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about that. Greg, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here, Bill. Yeah, let's get started about hearing the voice of God. I know I'm very interested. Well, you know, it, it's true that I think every Christian uh, longs to hear the audible voice of God, especially, you know, in times of trouble, times of confusion, times of despair, times of loneliness, even times of anxiousness and times of danger, certainly. So, you know, the question is, how can we hear the, and recognize for that matter, the voice of God? Well, let me just share a few things that uh, I've come across in my research on this subject because I get asked it on a regular basis. Uh, Number one, confession will always precede revelation. So we read in Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So confession really, um, and I think many Christians are confused about this this whole idea of confession. Confession is an acknowledgement that we've sinned, that we strayed from God's standards of holiness, and that we appeal to the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. At the moment of conversion, when a person finally realizes their need for a Savior, uh, a confession of our sin and the receiving of forgiveness it actually establishes a relationship with the Heavenly Father, the result of which, you know, guarantees our eternal salvation. But for those who have made a confession of their faith and now follow Christ, we confess our sins to restore the broken fellowship with the Father based on Christ's sacrifice on the cross and a dependence and reliance upon the Holy Spirit for empowerment uh, to live a godly life. So, In the first case, when we first come to Christ, we're establishing that relationship. And then when we sin after coming to Christ, God's unconditional love is still there, but we need to restore a broken relationship with him. So um, the whole idea, again, is this this idea of forgiveness. Uh, There's a difference between what's called judicial versus relational forgiveness. And judicial forgiveness, we are positionally given prominence in God's family. He, he positionally forgives us. We bear in our person a finished work of Christ. God sees us through that finished work. But there's still a need for relational forgiveness. And so that's what we've just been kind of discussing with relationship to uh, confession. So we're, we're restoring that relationship. We are being forgiven so that relationship is restored. And so confession then will always precede revelation. So it, it, it behooves us to go ahead before we rush our, uh, into the presence of God to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin in our life and that that relationship is restored um, so that uh, we'll be heard in many respects. So we need to remove any barrier, which sin is, 
that prevents us from hearing God's voice in our lives. So that's the first thing I would say. Okay. Secondly, God responds when we seek him. So the initiative is ours. God is always there, but he's just waiting to embrace us in his arms. So we need to seek him. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, a passage probably familiar to many in your audience. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Mm -hmm. So here we have a, a posture of submission, which is absolutely important if we want to hear the voice of God in our lives. So we must seek him and be willing to accept his answer. That's the key. What kind of an attitude are we coming in to prayer? Are we, are we going to lay this request on the throne of God and be dissatisfied if there's anything less than what we absolutely expect? That's not the right attitude because sometimes God may say no. Mm -hmm. And at other times he may say, wait. And oftentimes God works through the lives of others and they need to be brought around to fit into this magic and not magical, but this, uh, this overarching plan that God has that's going to take a lot of people into consideration. So it'll take time. So patience is needed. So we must be willing to accept the fact that God's plans might not meet our criteria, but are in accordance with his plans. And we need to trust in that, the details of which may be unclear at the moment. So absolute trust is essential no matter how long it takes to resolve. We may be unaware of the circumstances of the issue, the intentions of God, and the ramifications of our request. We need to trust in God's in God regardless. I remember praying over my ottoman in my living room for my family because we were going through some very, very difficult times. And for two years, Bill, I laid across that ottoman and prayed wondering where God was in this prayer. And finally, he answered it far beyond what I expected. And after, in retrospect, looking over those two years, all the things that had to be put into place to answer that prayer, which we often forget because God often works his will through people, uh, was amazing to me. And I was ashamed that I felt that God wasn't there in the midst of that prayer. But it took two years. But I had to seek him. Number three, persistence has its rewards. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. One biblical researcher put it this way, Bill. He said, in one sense, persistent prayer can also be thought of as a type of repetitive prayer. All of us have prayer requests that we prayed about for years, he says, the salvation of a lost one, the healing of a broken relationship, or the forgiveness of habitual sin. In the parables of the neighbor in need and the persistent widow, Jesus encouraged us to keep coming to God with our requests. We should always pray and not give up, according to Luke 18.1. Persistent prayer builds our dependence uh, on God and demonstrates our knowledge that only he can truly change the situation. It is a way to be honest with God and continually offer to him the things that weigh on our hearts. In Christ, we are God's children, and he cares deeply for us. 
if an unjust judge will respond to us simply because we keep asking, how much more will our righteous Heavenly Father respond to us when we keep seeking Him in prayer? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty powerful. It is. Number four, God's voice has certain characteristics. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peacekeeping, mm. considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And well, sincere. we could sit on that one for a while, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. That's spectacular. So, I mean, if you're getting something that's intrusive, something that's accusatory, something that's blaming, uh, that's probably not from the, the heart of God. So if the voice you hear, like, I'll, I'll stress this again, is accusatory or shaming, it is not from God. The enemy may be the source and not God. The enemy will often remind us of the failures of our past. God wants to bring us to the victories of our future, and the struggle is in the present. But God is God, and Satan is not. So we need to understand that. Scripture is clear. God declares that he blots out our transgressions. He remembers our sin no more, according to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hebrews. Our sin will never count against us, according to Romans. God puts all our sins behind his back, according to Isaiah. So if you're constantly reminded of your sin and the shame of your sin, God's not in the shaming business. He's in the conviction business, not in the shaming business. But if you, if you feel like you're being shamed, if you're reminded always about your failure, it's not of God. It's from the enemy. Well, that's an important message. That's an important um, thing for us to focus on because I hear often from listeners that they feel beat up. Yeah. That they feel that, that God is not with them or not uh, caring for them the way they would love to be cared for. Oh, and they feel like they're they're not measuring up. Yeah. And yeah. so they're constantly being reminded of that. Yep. And they've forgotten that uh, that's not even in the equation because God superintended their formation and their mother's womb. He knew them before they ever were. He set the number of days for them. So they were on the heart of God before they ever came to be. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's go to uh, number five. God speaks to us through his spirit in our innermost being. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 reads, However, it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way... No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that God that comes from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the Holy Spirit, in, in my understanding, Bill, convicts the world, it says in Scripture, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Once we are saved and belong to God, the Spirit takes up residence in our hearts forever, 
sealing us to the confirming, certifying, and assuring pledge of our eternal state as his children. Jesus said um, he would send the Spirit to us to be our helper, our comforter, our guide, our revealer of truth, and our teacher. So that's pretty powerful. So God will often speak to us in our innermost being through the Spirit. That's what often is called the prompting of the Spirit. You are speaking happy and comforting words, Greg Borgon. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Yeah, I love they comfort that. me. They comfort yeah. me. I think we'll take a little break. Thank you uh, for being with me today. We're talking to Dr. Greg Borgon, and we're having a lovely discussion on hearing the voice of God, because isn't it true that we all want to hear that voice? We, we long to hear that voice, especially, like Greg said, in times of trouble or confusion or despair or loneliness or anxiousness, and certainly in times of danger. So how can we hear and recognize the voice of God? That's the topic of today. We'll take a short break and be right back. belongs to Dr. Greg Borgon, and he is uh, with me today. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. You can learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. Greg, uh, what we just talked about before going to the break about how God speaks to us through his spirit in our innermost being, that was a point you had made. And uh, again, that's uh, a great a great comfort, a great um, uh, help for us to realize that that is, in fact, a way that God speaks to us. Absolutely. And we absolutely. hear his voice. Number six, um, when God speaks, he does not violate or contradict his written word. First John 4, 1 through 6 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, you dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever does not um, is not from God, does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So the voice of God is always consistent, congruent, and coherent. The same yesterday, today, and to, and forever, just as Hebrews uh, thirteen seven eight says. When someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, the first question such a declaration should raise in your mind is, Whose voice is it? Mm -hmm. Does it square with God's declared word in the Bible? Is it true that God, it, it is true that God may speak to you through others, but in every instance, Bill, it should not contradict his written word because there's no contradiction in God, in, in the attributes of God. God speaks to us primarily through the revelation of his word in Scripture. 
which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierced in the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, and a discerner of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And it's profitable, it says in, in 2 Timothy, for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. So the first place we ought to go if we want to hear the voice of God is to the written word of God, his mm-hmm. declaration of, of who he is and what he expects of us and what's ahead of us. So that's that's very important to understand that, and that's the reason why the enemy tries to keep us away from the Word. Uh, number seven, if we are his children, we'll know his voice. John ten three through 5 and verse 27 reads, The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So God's voice uh, doesn't obsess over our problems. He deals with the cause, not the symptoms. God's voice doesn't gossip. He, he condemns unwholesome talk, it says in Ephesians 4.29, and encourage what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. God's voice will usually speak with you about your own heart, not others' hearts. Your false beliefs, maybe your corrupted values, maybe your improper attitudes, maybe even your false motives. And God's voice focuses more on the heart of the issue than on direct answers. We must be prepared to be redirected by God to the real source of our concerns. And God's voice, again, will never contradict Scripture. Mm. Greg, I just got to hit pause here for a minute. God's voice focuses more on the heart of the issue than on direct answers. I just have to chew on that a little bit. Yeah, what? because oftentimes what we're bringing before God is what we recognize are the symptoms of our problem we think is the cause. Oh, I see. Okay. And God will always direct us to the cause and not the symptoms. Gotcha. That's helpful. Thank okay. you for clarifying. Yep. Number eight, God tends to speak in gentle whispers. 1 Kings 9, 11 through 13, the Lord said, Go out and stand in the, saying this to Elijah, on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake comes a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah's heart, uh, when Elijah heard it, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood on the mouth of the cave. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on earth. So the key here is, is to remember that the reason that God speaks so profoundly in a whisper is that it forces us, Bill, to lean forward to Mm -hmm. hear it, which means that we have to take the initiative to remove the distractions at this moment, so we can zero in on hearing the voice of God as he speaks through his word, as he prompts us through the Holy Spirit, or by other means. Number nine, God's voice always leads to a deep abiding sense of peace. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, and the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's interesting to note that as one of the components of the fruit of the Spirit's peace, 
taken from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. And here's what that means. Peace is the inner tranquility and sense of well-being of someone whose trust is in God through Christ, leading to an absence of agitation or discord. So the idea is then... I'd like to meet that person. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea is we have to think about it, I think, in this way, Bill. Either the issue is in our circle of concern or it's in our circle of influence. In our circle of concern, there's a chance we're not going to be able to do much about it. But we'll worry about it. We'll, we'll fixate about it and we'll constantly be thinking about it. But what God wants us to focus our attention on is a circle of influence where we have a finite amount of emotional, spiritual, physical energy to expend on things we can change. So the idea is not to waste it on things we can't change, even though they may be important. You pray about them and release them to God, those circle of concern issues. But focus on the circle of influence, those things you can change and make a difference. Let me give you one more, Bill. Okay. Is this a bonus round? This is a bonus round. I love it. There is a price to listening and hearing the voice of God. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whatever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this way, may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we show our love to God by being obedient to him. And in my experience, I have found as a follower of Christ, obedience will always produce strength. Disobedience always produces weakness. So in summary, Bill, hearing the audible voice of God is possible but rare since his voice is so clearly declared in his written word, the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of godly advisors. Maybe our first action, however, should be to consult his word, the Bible. That's some great, great points you've made, uh, Greg, and all of them backed with God's word, which I appreciate always about you. (laughs) And point number seven, I want to go back to just a little bit because I think you've really hit the nail on the old head here. God's voice doesn't obsess over our problems. God's voice doesn't gossip. God's voice will usually speak with you about your own heart. And God's voice focuses more on the heart of the issue. That's very comforting yeah. is, is yeah. just to be reminded that that's... Yeah. You know, the one assurance that we really have, Bill, is that we may be babble. We may be offering God the favorite phrase today is word salad to God. And, but the Spirit of God interprets it and understands what we're trying to get at. And God knows us intimately because he formed us. So he knows what the real issue is. And it may very well be it has little to do with what we've brought to him, but everything to do with what gave rise to our concern. And so he's always going to be digging deeper. He's always going to be going into our heart. It says that God judges the motives of men's heart, that God is concerned about the heart. So if there's an illness, if the heart is missing a beat, God wants to get to that first because he knows that that's going to deal with the proper issue. Mm-hmm. And Greg, did you, uh, during the break, we had talked about uh, an, an ice house, and you yeah. didn't seem to bring that up. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The ice house that was built at the uh, beginning of the century because people didn't have refrigerators. Yeah. 
These houses were long, thick walls, no windows, had a door on the front, door on the end, and the men of the community would get a sleigh and, and, and a horse and go down to waters that were, were beginning to freeze, river or lake, and cut out these large chunks of ice and bring them into the ice house and then cover them with either sawdust or straw. And so the men of the community would do that, and the people of the community would bring in their perishables, meats and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, they would last for such a long time because they were so well constructed, and it was in the middle of the summer they'd have to clean it up because there'd be putrefying food in there, and it mm-hmm. wasn't a pleasant task because it was in the heat of the summer. And, and a boy was watching this going on from a hilltop, and he noticed that um, one man came out uh, all concerned because he had lost his family over and he overheard, I can't find it, I can't find it, my family watch. And before they knew it, the boy disappeared into the ice house. Ten minutes later, he came out holding the watch. And they said, how'd you find the watch? And he said, it was easy. I laid down on the straw until I heard the ticking. Hmm. So the idea is, when have you laid down on the straw to hear God's still, small voice? Wow. Wow. That's, that's something to think about. That's a great <laughs> reminder that God does want you to hear his voice and that we are his children. And, and God has, his voice has certain characteristics. Let's just be alert and ready to hear from him. Greg, thanks so much for being here. That's my privilege. Yeah. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. And you can go learn more about Greg at heartofawarrior.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.